We read the Word of God together this morning in the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Matthew 18, verses 1 through 14. We read this portion of God's Word in connection with Lord's Day 33 of the Heidelberg Catechism and the doctrine of true conversion. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto them, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off, and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes be cast into hellfire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye, if a man have an hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. We read God's word that far this morning. Let's consider the teaching of the Catechism in Lord's Day 33 which is based on this passage of Scripture and many other passages. Based, for example, on Romans 6, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, which speak of the mortification of the old and the quickening of the new. Lord's Day 33 asks us, Of how many parts doth the true conversion of man consist? Of two parts of the mortification of the old and the quickening of the new man. What is the mortification of the old man? It is a sincere sorrow of heart that we have provoked God by our sins and more and more to hate and flee from them. What is the quickening of the new man? It is a sincere joy of heart in God through Christ and with love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which proceed from a true faith. 
are performed according to the law of God and to his glory, and not such as are founded on our imaginations or the institutions of men. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we must hear about an important doctrine that was mentioned in the previous Lord's Day. If you remember from last Sunday, in Lord's Day 32, the Catechism asked us why we must still do good works since we are saved by grace through Christ without any merit of ours. The Catechism went on to answer that question. But then, instead of proceeding directly to a treatment of the Ten Commandments of God, which we're going to do next, in the next Lord's Days, the commandments which explain to us what a truly good work is, instead of going directly to the commandments, the Catechism asked another question. It asked us whether it is really true that an individual who continues in a wicked and ungrateful life and is not converted to God will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the Catechism said that is true. That is true. A person who continues in a wicked life and is not converted to God will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now the Catechism in our Lord's day goes on to explain that matter of being converted to God. That's what this Lord's Day is about. We read Matthew 18, and Jesus there teaches his disciples and us in verse 3, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus made that statement to his disciples in the context of an argument that they were having with each other. They had been disputing with each other about who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They were so foolish and sinful, just like us, that they even had the audacity to go to Jesus and ask him face to face who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In answer to that question, Jesus said the words that we just read in verse 3 except you be converted and become as this little child, you will not even enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus had called a little child who was there present, and he had set that little boy or girl right in the midst of the disciples so that these grown men were standing around, and there was this little child in the midst, and Jesus said, except you be converted and become like this little child, you will not enter the kingdom. But those who are converted and who humble themselves and become like this little child, they're not only in the kingdom, but they are the greatest in the kingdom. So we're going to consider the Lord's Day from that perspective of these words of Jesus under the theme, the true conversion of man. Notice, first of all, the meaning of being converted to God. Secondly, the killing of the proud old man. And then thirdly, the quickening of the new man in Christ. 
We are currently in the third part of the Heidelberg Catechism, but there is a sense in which the true conversion of a man to God belongs in the second part of the Catechism. The part that teaches us about our deliverance and salvation from sin through the death of Christ and through justification by faith. There's a sense in which conversion is a doctrine that belongs in the second part of the Catechism because when Scripture teaches us about conversion, it often is speaking about the act of God turning a sinner for the very first time from unbelief to faith, from darkness to light, so that whereas before he was an unbeliever lost in darkness, after his conversion he is a believer in Jesus Christ. And we know that it is through faith in Christ that we receive the righteousness of Christ. It's through faith in Christ that we are justified. And we also know that that whole doctrine of justification by faith in Christ is taught in the second part of the Catechism. So there is a sense in which conversion is a doctrine that belongs in the section of the Catechism treating our salvation, our deliverance, through faith in Christ. How do we come to this faith in Christ? through the preaching of the gospel of Christ crucified, and the call of the gospel that says, come to him, believe in him, repent of your sins. God converts the sinner. And there is a time in the life of the sinner when God does that for the very first time and brings him to a living faith in Jesus, whereby he is justified. Many of us who grew up in the church do not know when we were first converted to God. It seems that perhaps most of us, maybe all of us sitting here this morning, and maybe even all of us who are watching on the live stream, grew up in the church. We grew up in a Christian church, and we were converted to God sometime long ago, but we could not tell you the exact time and place when we were converted, the exact time when we first had a conscious faith in Christ Jesus through the preaching that we heard. We were brought up like the little children who are with us this morning, who are sitting next to their moms and dads in the pews. Sometimes we first start coming to church when we are two or three years old. And for the first time, we start to hear the preacher talking about God and Jesus and salvation. And we come to faith. God converts our little hearts as little children so that we hear something or other from the pulpit that we understand and we believe that. So that through the preaching, God is converting us for the very first time when we're very little and bringing us to a living faith in Christ. So that with a childlike humility and simplicity, We put absolute faith in God and Christ for our salvation. But now that we are grown-up adults, we cannot really remember when that first happened because we were so little. And so we cannot point to a specific time and place. But what a joy it is as adults to know that there was a time, a specific time, long ago perhaps, 
when God turned us, when he converted us through the preaching of his messengers to a living faith in Christ, and we received Christ's righteousness. So that from that point on, he has been preserving us, and he will preserve us all the way to glory. But there are many other Christians who did not grow up in the church. They did not grow up like us, sitting next to their mom and dad in the pew on Sundays, listening to the sermons from the scriptures. And they were not able to hear the voice of Christ. They were not able to hear the scriptures read to them. They were not able to hear the preaching of the gospel and the call to repent and believe. And they make it all the way to adulthood without ever really hearing the preaching of the gospel. And they remain unconverted. They remain unbelieving. But then at some point in their life, God sends a preacher of the gospel to them, perhaps on a mission field, perhaps through a local church outreach or evangelism work, perhaps through a neighbor inviting them to church. And for the first time, they heard the preaching of Christ and the call to repent and believe in him. So that they can remember. They can remember the place, the time, when they first truly heard the preaching of Christ and when they first had their hearts opened and came to a living faith. What a joy for them to be able to know that experience of being in the darkness, totally lost, totally blind, and then being able to see for the first time the truth, to know Christ Jesus as their Savior and Lord, and not to point to that moment as the time when they made a decision or when they did something or when they accepted Jesus into their life, but to think of that moment as the time when God converted them, when God changed their life and brought them to the church, when they were baptized. You see, when adults come to faith, then they're baptized as adults. And they can also mark the occasion when they became members of the church, when they stood up and professed their faith before the assembly of God's people. And what a joyful thing it is for them. But whether we were converted at a moment when we were very little and we can't remember, or whether we were converted when we were older, that first moment of conversion is only the beginning of the work of conversion that God carries out throughout our whole life. And the Catechism, therefore, rightly places the doctrine of conversion in the third section, the section that has to do with the Christian life, that has to do with the life of gratitude. The Catechism places the doctrine of conversion here because when Scripture speaks about conversion, it doesn't only speak of that first moment of conversion, but it speaks of it as the beginning of a process of sanctification. And that's why we often associate conversion and sanctification as if they're the same thing. Because as those who grew up in the church, we tend to think of conversion in terms of this ongoing process of sanctification, and it is. 
In this sense, conversion comes after justification. Conversion proceeds from justification. And conversion continues all the way until the moment that we die. Conversion is a more and more kind of thing. Conversion is a a gradual process in which God is turning us from the darkness. The darkness that still cleaves to us as Christians. The darkness that we continue to walk in, in many different aspects of life. He turns us daily, gradually, continually. Brings us to repentance brings us to the light, brings us to obedience. And he does that through the very same preaching that initially brought us to conversion. The very same preaching of the law and the gospel is the means that God uses to bring about that ongoing conversion. It's the preaching which teaches us through the law what pleases God, what God commands of us, what God wants us to do in our lives, and what he wants us not to do. The preaching of the law sets that before us. This is the thou shalt, this is the thou shalt not. This is what pleases God, this is what doesn't please him. This is how you are to live, that is how you are not to live. This is the way of gratitude to God. Do you want to show your thankfulness to God? This is the way to live. That's the preaching of the law. But then in the preaching of the gospel, God sets before us Jesus Christ and him crucified as the greatest possible motivation we could possibly have to walk in that way of gratitude. The gospel is what shows us why we should obey The gospel is the means God uses us to turn us from the wicked way to the righteous way. And so the Catechism teaches us about conversion in the third part, the part of gratitude. And we hope to explore that in the next 19 Lord's Days. Therefore, the word of Jesus in the passage that we read comes to all of us, all of us who are sitting here, Jesus is not merely speaking to the unconverted when he says, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. We may not look at that text and say, Well, I know that I am in the kingdom of heaven, therefore he must not be speaking to me. He is speaking to you. He's speaking to me. But he's also speaking to those who are still outside of the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking to all of us. Except ye be converted, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. We all need to hear that. If we, who are listening here this morning, have never been converted before, if there is someone sitting here, or if there is someone listening or watching the sermon, who has never repented, who has never come to Christ with a humble and childlike faith, then that call is, come to Christ, repent of your sin, turn to the Lord. Because if you do not repent and come to Christ, then you shall not enter into the kingdom of God. That's the simple meaning of the text. Then the call comes to us who have been converted 
who have been walking with Christ for many years now, but we still fall back into sinful ways like the disciples. Ways of pride and arrogance and selfishness. Jesus says, except you be converted again and again and again and humble yourself as a little child. Be warned, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven as an impenitent, stubborn, proud sinner. And then, too, the teaching of our Lord in Matthew 18 not only points to turning from pride to humility, but it points to turning from unbelief to faith. We can sometimes think of faith as something that we were given long ago and now we just have it. There's a sense in which that's true because when God gives us faith, we never lose it. So we do have it and we never lose it. But there's also the need to grow in our faith. And there's also the reality that we sometimes slip into doubts and fears and despair and unbelief and self-confidence. We take our eyes off of Jesus and we need to be reminded again and again to humble ourselves, to become like little children, to believe. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus Christ. And turn from that unbelief. Now the Catechism teaches us that there are two parts to true conversion. And those two parts are there at the beginning and all the way through. At the beginning, we call that regeneration. The mortification of the old and the quickening of the new man is the act of God when he first regenerates us. But then there's the process of mortification and quickening. We're going to look at each of those briefly this morning. First, the mortification of the old man. Mortification is a scriptural word that means killing. It simply means killing. Not in the sense of violating the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, but in the sense of putting to death our old man of sin, a spiritual slaying and slaughtering of our old man of sin that still cleaves to us. The old man of sin, of course, is our old self, our old flesh, the one that we used to be. It was our old identity before we were regenerated, but it still cleaves to us. We still carry it with us. It still tries to drag us down. And conversion is God's act of killing that old man more and more. Let's just use the example of the sin of pride this morning, since that's the sin that Jesus was addressing in Matthew 18. Just like the disciples, we too have to deal with the pride in our flesh. Every single one of us has pride, different kinds of pride about different things, men and women, young and old, richer and poorer. We all have different kinds of pride. Pride means that we think that we are great. We think highly of ourselves. We think that we deserve to be acknowledged, to be recognized, to be praised, to be given position and to be given honor. 
We deserve to be elected to the consistory. We deserve to be elected to the board. We deserve to be promoted in our job. We deserve to be praised and acknowledged in the midst of God's people. That's pride. Whenever we think those things about ourselves, we think that we are great. We think that we deserve to be greater. We think that we ought to be the greatest. And so we inquire like the disciples about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Is it me, Lord? Is it me? You ought to take me into consideration. You ought to consider that maybe I should be the one who is considered the greatest of all the leaders, the greatest of all the preachers, the greatest of all the elders, the greatest of all the deacons, the most virtuous of all the wives and mothers, the most faithful of all the husbands and fathers, the most widely acclaimed, And so sometimes we are scrambling, trying to achieve those ambitions of our proud hearts. Trying to get what we think we deserve. And in our pride, thinking highly of ourselves, we don't like to admit our weaknesses. We don't like to admit that we're really not great that we have a lot of weaknesses. And if we are willing to admit that we have weaknesses, theoretically, often it's the case that we aren't willing to admit specific weaknesses. We aren't really able to tell you what our weaknesses are because we don't think very much about our weaknesses, our flaws, our failures, our foolishness, our selfishness. And then if someone comes to us and points it out to us, like maybe our wife, or maybe our husband, or maybe even our children, or our parents, or a brother in the church, and in a gentle and loving way shows us our weakness or points out a criticism of our behavior, we say, wait a minute now, not me. You're not referring to me. That's not a weakness that I have. That's not a, a flaw in my character. We become defensive very quickly and very easily, don't we? So all of that is pride, and there's all kinds of pride in us, different kinds of pride. But conversion, then, is the work of God, first of all, mortifying, killing our pride. The pride of our old man of sin. And how does God do that? God does that by the preaching of his word. He comes to us in the preaching, and through his servants, he says to us, Now, my children, I see your heart. I see your pride, and it stinks to me. I hate that pride. It displeases me. The things that you think, the things that you say, the way that you boast about yourself, The way that you put yourself forward, all of that displeases me. It provokes me. It provokes me to anger. Repent of that, my children. Repent of that. Put aside that pride. Humble yourself. And acknowledge your sins. God says that to us through his word. God is the one calling us to repent. Not the preacher, not a man. And when the brother or sister comes to us and points those things out, it's not that person who is 
saying it's God speaking to us. And sometimes we're so dull and so stubborn that we're not willing to listen to the word of God that he's speaking to us when he points out our weaknesses, our flaws. But God speaks to us, not in a way that he's trying to destroy us because we're his children and he loves us, but he speaks to us softly but firmly, and he says to us, now stop that. Stop thinking that way. Stop behaving that way. Repent of your sin, your pride. Humble yourself. And when God speaks to us those words through his, his preaching, the fruit is that we turn. The fruit of God's converting work is that we turn, we humble ourselves, our hearts are softened, our hearts are melted, and we say, Lord, you're right. I do have a lot of weaknesses, and it's time for me to start searching them out. And it's time for me to start admitting them. And one by one, we start to recognize the flaws in our behavior, the way we talk to people, the way we treat people, the way we deal with things. And we start admitting to ourselves. We start admitting to God. And we start admitting to each other. You're right. I'm wrong. I need to work on that. I'm sorry for that. And we truly are sorry. When God converts us, there's a true and sincere sorrow of heart. When we hear God say that to us and we realize how proud we've been, how self-righteous we've been, how haughty we've been, we become of a broken and a contrite spirit. We realize to ourselves, I did that against God. He is God, but I was acting as if I'm God. How foolish I was. I said that to my neighbor. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed. How I boasted about myself. How I, how I complained about my life that I'm not acknowledged as I ought to be, and so on and so forth. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I'm sorry. All of that is the fruit of God's converting work. And then this too, the Catechism says that I hate my sin. I, I abhor it. When I realize the pride that's in my, my heart, how ugly that is, I start to hate it and abhor it. I want to be done with it. I don't minimize it anymore. I don't excuse it. I abhor it. And I flee from it. The Catechism mentions fleeing from it, which means that we take decisions and we take measures in our lives to avoid doing it again as much as we can. Jesus went on to say in Matthew 18 that if your right hand offends you, you cut it off. If your right eye offends you, you pluck it out. What Jesus is saying there is you flee from your sin. Not that we literally cut off our body parts. That's a, a vivid illustration to teach us 
that we are to be fleeing from our sins, taking measures, making decisions, setting parameters and putting accountability and filters and so on and so forth, doing whatever we must do to put that sin out of our life. So that's what the catechism means when it says that the mortification of the old man is a sincere sorrow of heart that we have provoked God by our sins and more and more to hate and flee from them. God converts us through his word. We repent with sincere sorrow and we flee from our sins. Sanctification takes place. We put sin out of our life. That's the first part of true conversion, the mortification of the proud old man. Now, the positive side is the quickening of the new man in Christ. The new man is our new identity, our new self in Christ Jesus, that when we were regenerated, we were made into new creatures, which means that in the deepest recesses of our hearts, God planted the seed of the life of Christ so that now we are in Christ and we are creatures, new creatures in Christ. But that new man that we've been given in regeneration is only a small beginning. And so the quickening of the new man refers to that ongoing process of conversion throughout our life in which we are turned from the darkness to the light. Now we're talking about the to the light part. So from pride to humility, from hatred to love, and so on. And how does God quicken this new man in us? How does he do that? How does he turn us to the light, to what is good? Again, it's through the preaching of his word. Preaching of the law and the gospel. But it's especially then through the preaching of the gospel that he motivates us, stirs us, enlivens us, so that we long and we want to walk in that good way, that good new way. Isn't that what motivates us and drives us to walk in the way of love and good works? When God declares to us his love for us, when God says to us through his official ambassador that he loves us, God loves us, the almighty maker of heaven and earth, and he has forgiven all our sins through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. When God presents to us in the preaching how good he has been to us, how good, how amazingly good, the riches that he has bestowed on us, the blessings that he has bestowed upon us. One after another, we can count them. They are unending. He has been gracious and merciful to us, forgiving us, washing us, cleansing us, giving us the hope of eternal life. When God sets before us again and again how marvelous is his love for us, that it knows no bounds, it has no depth, it has no width, it has no height, it is indescribable and it is uncontainable. 
And he has manifested it in all of its beauty and glory in Christ Jesus on the cross when he gave his life for me. When he gave his life for you. So that there is this unimaginably great everlasting love of God for you, for me. And he causes us to taste and see that he is good. To taste with the mouth of faith that God is good to me. He has been good to me. And to grasp a little bit more how wonderful God is. Every time we grasp a little bit more of how great God is, how amazing he is, how good he has been to us, how unfathomably pure and beautiful is his salvation. How wonderful that he has chosen me of all the children of mankind to be one of his children. How wonderful that Jesus died for me on the cross. Often those things just run right through us and they don't find a a landing place in our hearts. But when they do, when God by his spirit causes those truths to land on our hearts, then we bubble up with joy. As we contemplate the living God in Christ, that he is my treasure, he is my portion, he is my delight. And the prospect that I am going to get to live with him for all eternity. After this life, in heaven, in the world to come, in the paradise to come, where there will be peace and rest and joy forevermore. And I will draw nearer to him and nearer and still nearer into the ages of eternity, enjoying perfect happiness. That's what God has for me, that I'm going to get to know him face to face. When now I know him already by faith, then we become more and more grateful. And as the Catechism puts it, we have a sincere joy of heart in God through Christ and with love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. Then it's no longer just going through the motions. It's no longer just doing what mom and dad taught us to do. It's no longer settling for good enough. But it's with sincere joy of heart. I love God. I love him. Because of his love for me through Christ. And I want to know him more. I want to be closer to him. I want to be in a relationship with him that is growing deeper and greater. And I can't wait to see Jesus face to face in glory. To live with him there in heaven for all eternity. That is the source of good works. God converts us so that we humble ourselves and we realize how good he is to us. And then we have a burning zeal and longing to serve him. The fruit of repentance and conversion is good works. With love and delight 
to live according to the will of God in all good works. That's the fruit of conversion. So the fruit of conversion is humility. When God converts us, we become humble like that little child. A little child that Jesus set in the midst of the disciples. Can you kind of picture him there? Think of a little two or three year old looking up at those disciples with wide eyes, full of humility and simplicity, innocence. Trusting absolutely in his father because he knows that his father has never failed him. His father will continue to give him all good things and protect him from all evils. So he has this childlike faith and this childlike humility. When God converts us, that's one of the fruits in our lives, is humility. We come to recognize that we're very small and weak. We don't deserve anything, but God takes care of us, and we trust him, and we love him because of his care for us. And as a little child standing in the midst of the disciples, he knew he had nothing to boast about. They're all greater than him. And that humility is that attitude, that recognition. I'm not greater than anybody. I'm not too good for anybody. Just a little child. So humility is a fruit of conversion. And so are all the other kinds of good works that we are called to walk in. A good work, you see, is one that arises first out of a true faith in God. Faith like a child. Faith in God who first did such good things for us because the scripture says without faith it is impossible to please him. Unbelievers can't do good works. Those who deny God and worship idol gods those who trust in themselves, they can't do good works. They flow out of a faith, a living, childlike faith in God through Christ. In the second place, good works are those which accord with the law of God. The law of God which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. A good work is not defined by the imaginations and institutions of men. Men who don't know God try to redefine what is good and what is evil. We see that going on all around us today. Redefining what is good and evil. God tells us in his word what is good and evil. God tells us what it looks like to love him and what it looks like to love our neighbor. And a good work is one that is in accord and harmony with God's law. Therefore, a good work is always a work of love. And obedience. And thirdly, a good work is one that is done to the glory of God. As soon as we're doing something for our own glory, then it is defiled. But a good work is one that is done for the glory of God. In other words, we do it out of thankfulness to God. We do it because of what he has done for us. We do it because we love him and we want to serve him. When we're doing it out of those things, out of those attitudes of the heart, then we're doing a good work.
And those good works are the fruits of conversion, the inevitable fruits, the necessary fruits. And may God continue his good work of conversion in our lives. Continue to mortify our pride and quicken humility so that we may abound in all good works and joyful gratitude. Amen. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, thou hast indeed done great things for us, and we are glad. Father, we pray that thou would continue to work that good work of conversion so that we who continue to walk and to fall into paths of sin and pride would walk in the path of humility and love. We pray, Lord, that thou would use thy word this day as a power in our lives to further that work of conversion and lead us in the way everlasting. 